your exclusive home for prop sports. Oh, it's good! It's good! This is Rowan Radio. Connors with the game winner! 89.7 WGLS-FM, Glassboro. Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM proudly presents Offsides, a weekly roundtable discussion about the world of professional sports, featuring the diverse perspectives of the Rowan Radio Sports Department. And now, here's your host, Aaron Hook. RowanRadio.com, Channel 2 Live here in Glassboro, 10 minutes past the 5 o'clock hour, December the 4th, first offsides here in the month of December, um, at least the first Monday offsides, and I'm your host, Aaron Hook. I'm joined by some fabulous members of our Rowan Radio Sports Department, Aiden Ray, Nick Rizzo, are with me here in the production studio, and then across the way, we've got Mr. Josh Ayers as well, so... Uh, kind of a packed house today, guys, and, um, you know, with the events that took place yesterday in the National Football League, I think the crew we have today is fitting. We have a little bit of representation from each angle, um, and obviously the big game, you know, the game that was, <coughs> excuse me, kind of heralded as uh, the potential game of the year took place last night, or yesterday afternoon, Leading into last night, Eagles and 49ers. And uh, we do have an Eagles fan with us in Nick Rizzo. And so, from the perspective of an Eagles fan, Nick, you know, obviously the day after, on a Monday morning quarterbacking for you, um, just kind of sitting with this game right now as the Niners win it 42-19, to they pull away at the end. Um, wh- what, does it, what does the loss even mean uh, for the Eagles right now to you? It's uh, it's certainly not encouraging, I will say that. I think I would have felt better about it if we didn't put forth our best performance, like, you know, if we had a few turnovers, you know, some sloppy play. But what's really discouraging about this performance is this is the way the Eagles have been playing for the past month or so. If you look at the games against Kansas City, against Buffalo, against Dallas, you know, this is the brand of football that we've been playing. And we didn't make too many mistakes yesterday. It's just the simple fact that the 49ers absolutely dominated us. And they were the more physical team. They were the better, the better football team. And we, we just didn't come ready to play. And what is sad about it is that the Eagles, as mentioned, I mean, that this is the performance that we've been seeing out of them basically for the whole season. And so I don't know how much better things can get if you're the Eagles because – the 49ers clearly showed that they are the better football team and that they are the team to beat in the NFL, in my opinion. And it's just it, it, it's heartbreaking because we you had so much expectations coming into this game. The Eagles looked virtually unbeatable heading into this week. You know, whatever deficit the Eagles faced, they always came back and won in the end. You know, four straight games winning when trailing at halftime. That all obviously came to an end yesterday. And the Eagles, you know, maybe it's good for us. Maybe we did need to get humbled a little bit. But it certainly is bad news on the rest of the outlook of the season for me. Yeah, and, you know, all the talk um, around the Eagles the last few weeks has been, you know, about this kind of 
stretch in their schedule that um, has seen them kind of have to run a bit of a gauntlet. I mean, you know, Dallas by Kansas City, Buffalo, 49ers yesterday, and then you have Dallas again this week on Sunday. Um, I mean, you know, obviously I think fans were saying if we come out of that with one loss, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, you just – in the fashion that you lost yesterday, I, I agree with you. I think, although you know you found a way to beat Buffalo and Kansas City, and if you beat Dallas twice, um, that'll kind of I, I think get you some confidence back as perhaps that team to beat. Um, and San Francisco is definitely then going to be your biggest competition. Obviously, anything can happen in the in the playoffs, but to really kind of put a stamp on Dallas beating them twice, um, especially on the road. If they can find a way a way to win that game, do you think some of kind of the uh, bad taste um, left by this loss will, will, will kind of trickle away? Or do you think it'll still kind of be a concern in the back of everyone's mind, you know, especially as we get closer to the playoffs? Yeah, I think next week's game against Dallas will tell us everything we need to know about the 2023 Eagles if we can find a way to bounce back here, win a win a game in Dallas where they've been playing so well this year, I, I think that would definitely regain some confidence from the fan base and for the team. You know, but if we if we can't find a way to bounce back and we get punched in the mouth again, then it, it's really a make or break week because if the latter happens, then the fan base is going to go into an absolute frenzy. And there's also some talk about whether this was a scheduled loss or not. I'm really not sure how I feel about that because, yes, San Fran did have 10 days to prepare for the game. The Eagles were playing their third game in 13 days. And so I think fatigue might have been a little bit of a factor for the Eagles yesterday, especially against Buffalo. Their defense played almost 100 snaps in the overtime win against Buffalo. And so definitely fatigue could have been a factor there. And the first two drives were very encouraging. The Eagles looked dominant offensively and defensively you know the Eagles walk away with two red zone possessions on their first two drives can't score touchdowns that ultimately came back to bite them in the end if you go up 14 nothing there we could be looking at a completely different game but yeah next week's game against Dallas is certainly going to paint the picture for the rest of the season for the Eagles I believe and you know in that game you have Jalen Hurts leave um for what a couple of plays not even right they said he was getting tested for a concussion yeah it, right. w- it was it was briefly and you know Mario comes in and um hurts and then re-enters the game but the Eagles just you know I think it was too little too late at that point but you know and you, you see in that game everything kind of unravel for the Eagles uh in that second half and um Oh, what what was kind of your take on it all as, again, someone who is a fan of a team in the division, um, watching a game like this and then, you know, looking forward to them taking on Dallas uh, this Sunday? All right, to be honest, like, so yesterday, like, my team did not play it all yesterday. I, of course, I'm a Giants fan, obviously. But um, that game was pretty pretty entertaining to look at it, especially knowing, like, real stuff. I thought the Eagles would win a close game because, like, Brock Purdy was healthy, but what a job by the Niners offense. Debo Samuel with three touchdowns. Also, like, but also the one thing that was crazy in that game was when Dre Greenlaw, like, and that head of security, like, Dom DeSandro, <laughs> when they, like, tried to, like, when there was, like, a whole issue and um, Greenlaw suplexed Devonta Smith. 
That was wild. But the Niners, they they did an incredible job yesterday going in the fill in the Philly. They this was a game they like wanted to win badly after last year's NFC Championship game where they got beat 31 to 7 and they were able to like stand on their ground and take a win. And then this race for the NFC is getting closer. And yes, I also think for the Eagles like this next game against the Cowboys is huge for the NFC East and for for the whole of the NFC with teams like the Niners, the Lions, and the Cowboys. Yeah, I, I mean, and Detroit sweeping out a win over the weekend against um, the Saints. You know, you look at the NFC as a whole and the Eagles, you know, San Francisco, Detroit, and Dallas, all 9-3, and three, all a game back. And so, again, the Eagles, you know, they kind of have – Two of their last three games are, you know, against the Giants, and then you have the Cardinals in between. Cardinals look pretty good with Tyler Murray back out there, offensively at least. And, um, you know, I wouldn't say that's going to be a walk in the park, but the Eagles should win all three of those games. Even Seattle, uh, the week after Dallas, I think is a game they definitely should win. And um, the Yeah, and the Dallas game just – it's an absolute must win because if you, if you do lose that game, all of a sudden, you're in a tie for the NFC East with Dallas. Yep. And then, obviously, the tough game against Seattle on the road, primetime the week after. I mean, it's just shaping up to – I don't know. This is just a disaster. <laughs> it's shaping up to be – What is crazy <laughs> to me is is this is, this is uh, a disaster to – a fan, a fan base can have this be represented as a disaster when other fan bases <laughs> are going through some stuff that's a, a little bit worse. And <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, the it, it definitely would. In the context of the Eagles season, though, Josh, I think losing to Dallas, having them come and get that tie for the top of the division and the top seed potentially if, you know, whatever, however it shapes out, um, I think for the Eagles that would be – yeah, maybe a disaster is a strong word. A letdown would be would be a, a good start. I'm thankful that this is my disaster <laughs> exactly. as an Eagles fan. And, you know, Eagles fans obviously have had it rough as well in the past, and they've gotten to a point now where, yeah, worrying about, you know, potentially um, losing to Dallas. But, uh, of course, Josh, the implications of not winning the division, th- those are pretty big. In, in the grand scheme of things, they are pretty big when you look at the NFC and all the good teams in there. You want to have that first round by um, and let things kind of shake out. But Dallas is now coming from that top spot. And, you know, with the Eagles' loss, there was some shake up in the MVP voting as well. I think they said Brock Purdy is now the odds fa- uh, odds favorite, or maybe Dak is now the odds favorite. Mm-hmm. But Hurts slipping a little bit. What do you think of all that? I mean, I just think it's insane how chaotic the NFC is t- about to turn out, especially. If the Eagles do end up losing in Dallas, it would be chaotic because it'd be, I believe, it'd be a four-way tie for first place in the NFC. And I'm so, me personally, I'm a fan of chaos. I like the fact. I would love the fact if I'm not an Eagles hater. I don't want the Eagles to lose, but if they did lose, I wouldn't. It would make things a lot interesting. That a lot of teams that we didn't expect, like the Detroit Lions, could win win the NFC, be the first seed. But to talk about the the game a little bit, I mean, it was just 
it was kind of concerning to see the run defense for the Eagles, That especially when you see the names on a defensive line. They really couldn't stop the run game at all. Uh, McCaffrey averaged about five yards per carry, and I think for the game they averaged about five yards per carry. But it was just, they just constantly ran on the left side behind Trent Williams, George Kittle, and Kyle Juszczyk. I mean, those are all very good run blockers in their positions. But, I mean, for the Eagles, they really didn't have an answer for the, the run game, and it, that's just – that's you're playing right into the 49ers game at that point mm. that that Brock Purdy can play off the uh the play action and then find Debo for these three touchdowns. I mean, it was definitely a statement game. The, like Nick said, the Niners looking like the team to beat in the NFC, but the Eagles are not looking the hottest against a team in Dallas that's been on fire especially at home and looking at their home games that they've scored their last four home games, they scored at least 40 points. Yeah, and kind of piggybacking off that point about the defense, uh, our run game, our run defense is obviously our forte defensively for the Eagles. You know, Christian McCaffrey, best running back in the league. You know, there, you're, there's not much you could do to stop him. He's going to always get his. And the secondary has just been a mess this whole season. Uh, we let Mac Jones, from week one, Mac Jones threw 300 yards against this secondary. Perfect. And if you have a competent quarterback, he's going to light up the Eagles secondary in all likelihood. So I was expecting that much, but the tackling was just a major issue yesterday. Yeah, it definitely was. And against Debo Samuel, who's one of, if not the most physical wide receivers in the league, Brandon Ayuk is a yards after catch master. George Kittle, obviously, very physical. So... Uh, the Eagles did sign Shaq Leonard today to kind of bolster that linebacking group. So, you know, maybe he can help. Maybe he won't. But it, the, it, the defensive performance is just an absolute disaster. And when the Eagles watch film on this game, because, like I said, this is the way it's been all season long, not as much in the tackling aspect, but in the secondary, they need to watch film on this game and just say, hey, enough of this. We need to step it up because clearly – they cannot win a Super Bowl with this type of performance, especially defensively. And I would agree. And, you know, I think you can kind of take into account there, Nick, um, you know, the three games in 13 days, getting worn down a little bit. And San Francisco is just such a hard team to stop because they have so many weapons, so diverse. And that steam is so good for Kyle Shanahan. I mean, Brock Purdy has, I think, now come into his own as a legitimate starting quarterback. He's shown some good stuff. He's a guy that, even outside of structure, can make a lot of plays. But, I mean, he was just almost, again, I mean, you talked about we've seen him have, like, a perfect quarterback right here or whatever. Yesterday, 19-27, 314 yards, four touchdowns. McCaffrey gets it on the ground. Debo runs one in. He finds Debo twice in the end zone. Ayuk with a touchdown. It, there's just so many guys out there offensively, and the offensive line is so good for San Francisco. They are a juggernaut, uh, along with the Eagles. And so, I think... One thing this game definitely shows us is that they match up pretty well with the Eagles, mm -hmm. at, at least right now. Um, but we'll see, you know, defensively again with Shaq Leonard coming in, what adjustment the Eagles can make. I think the last point on this game is the Eagles offensively have gotten off to slow starts. And you mentioned mm -hmm. the first two drives, they looked pretty good. But in that second quarter, they got shut out. And the last three weeks, they've had seven, seven, and six points at halftime. Unacceptable. Um and playing from behind, it's just hard to win games against teams this good like like the 49ers. Yeah, and if you look at last year's Eagles, that, that was their specialty. They always got off the fast starts, and they kind of just put the nail in the coffin early in games in the first half, and that's kind of why we saw so many blowouts from this Eagles team last year. But the beginning of the game, 
yesterday was just so crucial because we have those two red zone possessions and we only come away with six points on our first two drives. That needs to be 14, especially against the 49ers team. We were saying it all week. The 49ers are at their best when they're ahead, when they're leading. Then they can kind of just play their game. If we went up 14 nothing there, that is a whole different game. The 49ers can't really settle in offensively the way that they did. And, yeah, the, the offense, it's just as much as an issue as the defense because you said it, the slow starts just can't happen, especially come playoff time when we're going to be playing these teams like the 49ers and like Dallas. You know, the, the competition is only going to heighten in January and February. So, you know, offensively, it's honestly just a question of what's a bigger issue at this point, the offense or the defense. Eagles will have the Cowboys on Sunday night. Um in Dallas, so obviously, you know, this game was heralded as perhaps the game of the year, most important game of the year coming up uh, for Philadelphia. Josh, you mentioned earlier that you like chaos with the NFC and how it may unfold. Well, then you must have been a fan of what happened this week in college football um, with the playoff committee selection show and, well, we all know it now, the top four teams in the country according to the college football playoff committee are Michigan, Washington, Texas, and Alabama gets the number four spot after winning the SEC over Georgia. Um, that selection show was crazy, man. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, when, I think it's great the way they do it also. I think, you know, we've been taught as sports communication students to kind of think from a TV perspective or whatever. I love the way they bring in number six first because – that heightens the suspense a ton more. Mm-hmm. So you reveal Georgia as number six. They're a one-loss team, didn't win the SEC. And so you figure, okay, one loss, no conference championship. Although they were dominant the whole year, uh, they were number one in the um, in the CFP rankings the last week of the season or the last couple weeks of the season. Um, they, they, they fall to number six and they don't get in. So just a brutal loss on Saturday for Georgia. And then it came down to the undefeated champs of the ACC, Florida State, and the one-loss SEC champion, Alabama. Josh, where do you kind of sit with the decision by the committee to put in Alabama over Florida State, who you can't argue. I mean, again, the argument against them is Jordan Travis, their starting quarterback, is hurt. And, you know, they're supposed to take injuries, potential big-time injuries, and this the biggest of them all into play when deciding these teams. Just such unfortunate circumstances, I think, for, for Florida State to be left out. Yeah, I mean, it, it is unfortunate circumstances, but I believe the committee made the right decision awarding Alabama the fourth uh, ranking. I mean, I feel like that's fitting for beating a Georgia team who was number one for 20-something weeks. Like, they almost broke the record for longest team sitting at number one consecutive for consecutive weeks, and – I mean, it's unfortunate for FSU that they didn't have their quarterback and obviously going undefeated and you're not in the college playoffs is very disappointing and you feel you might feel you got cheated. But obviously the committee cares about putting on a good product. And I just don't think that without Jordan Travis that FSU even stood a chance against Michigan. Mm-hmm. And even with him, you can argue they still didn't stand a chance against Michigan. But I feel like we're going to see in the game against Georgia that without Jordan Travis that – they just couldn't compete if right. they did play Michigan. So I think the committee made the right choice. Yeah, I, I, there's kind of like the um, 
there's kind of like the double-edged sword there of you want to put the best product out there, the four best teams. But then everyone is going to contest what does that mean. That's been like the big question. What are the best four teams? Well, we didn't lose, and we want a Power 5 conference. How are we not one of the best four teams? I think there's just – and, you know, people are now – with the 12-team playoff coming next year, people are clamoring for, you know – uh, there, there has to be changes made to this format, and there will be next year. And with all the, you know, um, all the kind of, uh, I don't, I, I can't think of the word, but kind of um, movement in college football with, you know, all these Pac-12 teams headed to the Big Ten and whatnot, realignment. Um, it should be interesting to see how they go about it next year. But a lot of people are talking about this current format as just something that in a year like this, just has no chance of working. And I kind of tend to agree with it because I think it's just, it w- it was going to be unfair for somebody. Yeah. And I-, I think Florida State, although they may have not really had a chance to go and win the title without Jordan Travis, I think if you win a Power 5 conference, you go undefeated, you beat everyone you're supposed to, I think you should at least get a shot. I think, I think and I'm just putting myself in, in their shoes. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just tough. It's 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 a hard issue, and I think they're making a good decision to move to a 12-team format because that way everyone at least gets a fair shot. Yeah, I think even – you can argue with Georgia too. Like a team that's been playing phenomenal all year, they lose one game, now they're not in the playoffs yep. anymore. So, yeah. But if that format – the new format was this year, that wouldn't matter. We still see Georgia com- have a chance to compete. So, like you said, it's a double-edged sword, but – Next year, hopefully, everyone's happy with the format and we get a better product as a result. Josh, or sorry, Aiden and Nick, um, what were your guys' reactions during that uh, selection show? Um, Aiden, it was super intense. Like, again, they revealed Georgia and it was Bammer, Florida State. It was, you're kind of in your head thinking about, oh, well, Florida State did this, but, you know, Alabama won the SEC and, you know, their only loss is to Texas and, you know, Florida State um, didn't look too great the last couple of weeks. And so what was kind of going through your head as they were getting ready to reveal the number four team? And what was your reaction when uh, they picked Bama to go uh, to the college football playoff? So, so yeah, it definitely was intense. And, of course, what you mentioned, yes, I did like how they revealed the number six team before they revealed four. So they did one, two, and three, then six. So, Bringing out some excitement between these two, the two fan bases of the Crimson Tide and the Knolls, but like my reaction, um, I was like, nah, real stuff. One like Alabama got on, so I was, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. But um, but looking forward, yeah, yeah, that it is a better product to put out there, and I feel like it's about ratings and money. But FSU. Yes, they are 13-0, but, of course, Jordan Travis got hurt. And, of course, they had some games which were way too close, way too close that shouldn't have been close. Like Boston College earlier in the year, they were down 13 nothing against North Alabama. They had a close with Miami, had a close with the Gators. Like, But FSU, like, I, I feel bad for their fans, but also Bama, on the other hand, is a better, fo- is a better football team. Mm-hmm. But – and then Georgia and Florida State will play in the Orange Bowl. So, but I feel like most for that game, peop, most players will like opt out because like this game doesn't mean anything towards the towards like playoffs or anything. I know it's a New Year's Six, but like 
Bama, Washington, Texas, and Michigan. Like th- this is going to be like mean some of them. And of course, this is great stuff to do. And of course, this year we have the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl as mm-hmm. the college football playoff bowl games. Yep. So it's very exciting to see out of the for, for like the last one with like the four teams for this to ha- be at the Rose Bowl. And then, but also, we'll have next year. Like if you're looking at next year, this is two SEC teams and two Big Ten teams, which I. Real stuff. I I'm not gonna. It's gonna. It's not gonna be the same next year of college football because mm. I don't. I don't feel like like those West Coast teams should belong in the Big Ten. Like it's a geographic aspect. But overall, I was. It was a pretty intense um show. So yeah. Hopefully we got a good. Hopefully these games are good. Just like last year's TCU, Michigan, and Ohio State, Georgia games. I, I those think were the nuts. matchups should be really good this year. Yeah. Okay. So. I'm excited for them. January 1st is going to be hopefully a good one. By the way, so just one more thing on this. So from the Florida State side, I don't know if you guys saw, but Mike Norvell, their athletic director, oh. uh, Michael Alford, put uh, he released a letter criticizing the decision of the committee. He went off. Uh, he said, so this is, what, this is part of what he said. He said, For many of us, today's decision by the committee has forever damaged the credibility of the institution that is the college football playoff. And saddest of all, it was self-inflicted. They chose predictive competitiveness over proven performance, subjectivity over fact. They have become a a committee of prognosticators. They have abandoned their responsibility by distorting their purpose to evaluate performance on the field. Again, you can see where he's coming from in that... You're putting Alabama in as a one-loss team because you, you, you figure they are the better team and it'll be a better game. But, I mean, again, I think that's been the goal of the college football playoff. And it was said immediately after it was uh, they chose Alabama is to put the four best teams in the country in. And I think we can all agree that they are a better team than, than Florida State. So no matter where you sit on it, I, I think there's – Points to be made for both sides. Obviously, sucks for Florida State. It, it does suck for Florida State, but honestly, I, I need to agree with Josh on this one. I think the committee just got it spot on, because so let's just go down the ladder here. So Georgia, to to me, they're not even in the conversation because you you had your shot to prove yourselves in the SEC championship game. You 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 don't beat Alabama, okay? I know Georgia played some ranked teams this season. But for the most part, their schedule was pretty light. And so they do play an elite team in Alabama, and they got outplayed for virtually the entire game. Okay, so they're out. Now you get down to the Florida State conversation. And I see where Mike Norvell's coming from, where, yes, Florida State's undefeated, and, yes, you're predicting a better game. But if you look at that game Florida State had against Louisville, Florida State is not a top-four team in the country without their quarterback. And so <clears throat> I do agree with the decision to put number one. All right, so Michigan and Washington, they're both locks. Okay, Washington beats Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. They're in Michigan, absolutely dominant all year long. And Michigan, unlike Georgia, proved themselves in the big game against Ohio State. So those two were locks. And then Alabama, once they beat Georgia, you say, okay, now Alabama, you don't really have an argument against them getting in at that point. And then – Texas is like, hold on, wait a minute now. We beat Alabama this season, so if Alabama's in, then we should get in. And so that's that's kind of my outlook on it. I think that the four teams that got in 
are the four correct teams, and they're all very deserving. If if Florida State got in, then they would have been deserving too, an undefeated team, Power 5 champion. But I think, unfortunately, due, due to the circumstances, I think Florida State, rightfully so, missed the cut. And it does suck, and I do feel for them. But it it's just, it, you said it, it's all about ratings. And I think Alabama-Michigan certainly makes for a better matchup than Florida State-Michigan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, again, and I think... I think everyone understands that. It's just, you know, it's just such a tough argument when you look at it from the side of, you know, what do you have to do to get into the playoff? Like, if you're a team like Florida State, less talented than Alabama, um, Alabama plays in a better conference. ACC is still power five. But when you went to the ACC, I mean, Florida State was representing them right at the top the entire year. And even then, people always were kind of talking about how Florida State, even with Jordan Travis, yeah. oh, are they are they really a top four team? Or are they more like a top ten team? Something like that. Um, but they, you know, rode out their schedule, beat everyone in front of them, won the ACC, a Power Five conference, undefeated. And, you know, people were just asking, what is the criteria to make the playoff if you're not at the beginning of the year seen as one of these top four teams talent-wise, or if you maybe become one of those teams. Uh, it's, just, it's just hard, and again, I think it's such a good decision by them to do it to the 12-team. Yeah, and this off. year would have been the perfect year to do the 12-team. Yes, Agreed. I know. That's the thing. It, it, this year, if they had gotten it a year earlier, uh, it would have been really, really good um, this year because, again, you have the back end uh, of the top ten. You have Missouri. Um, Oregon, I think, is a team that, you know, deserves uh, – maybe not deserves to play for a national title, but with the 12-team playoff, I think, would, you know, lend itself to some really good matchups as well, Ohio State, Penn State, mm-hmm. um, and whatnot. Yeah, and I am an Oregon fan, and so watching that game on Friday was absolutely devastating because <laughs> I, I think the winner of that game would have made the playoffs. Yeah, I think if Oregon beats Washington, you kind of have a – Sort of an Alabama situation, right? It's like yeah, it would have been a little more dicey mm-hmm. if Oregon won, just because of the one loss, and you know they split versus Washington in the year. But, but again, if Oregon wins, and you know if Bo Litz finds a way to win, maybe he's the Heisman favorite, and you know maybe they put him in for that reason. But yeah, college football uh, playoff, um, New Year's Day, those uh, those two games with the uh, the Rose Bowl and the uh, Sugar Bowl. So. Um, Big football weekend, obviously, but uh, we've had a lot of rumors start to circulate uh, in Major League Baseball as uh, we had a trade last night, I believe, uh, with the Braves and Mariners striking the deal. Braves actually got Jared Kalanick, former top prospect in that deal, but I think the stove is starting to heat up a little bit, guys. It's starting to... You know, flicker on and off with uh, with you know the gas flame. You know, you gotta, maybe you got to turn it a couple times. But the stove is starting to get there uh, as we move into December and the winter meetings kick off very very soon. Um, Shohei Otani is gauging a lot a lot of interest um, from a lot of different teams. The Braves have obviously um, there, there was a report that uh, they've been involved um, with him as well. it's just, you know, you wonder what type of contracts are these teams actually putting on the table? Um, 
for a guy like Shohei Otani. Um, what is the AAV going to look like? What is the total money going to look like? It, it, it's just kind of such a not guessing game because there have been figures that have been kind of rumored, but with everyone going after this guy, it, it's going to be a huge bidding war uh, this week. It definitely will be huge. With sh- so yeah, it's this once you mentioned the stove is heating up in Major League Baseball this off season as we're in we're since it's the start of December we're we're gonna be we're gonna be seeing some um trades and um free agent signings pretty soon in the sport hopefully like a lot of teams go out and try to um get players and it's hopefully not like the same few teams but um <coughs> Mar- Mariners and Braves decent decent trade they did because the Braves acquired Kelnick Marco Gonzalez and Evan White mm-hmm. from the yes the, from the Mariners so they they got a good amount of good amount of pieces from Seattle so yeah it's hopefully um we got some more um stuff um heating up soon this week in Major League Baseball yeah, you know telling it had a decent year uh we played in 105 games um but pretty decent numbers and uh it'll just kind of be I think at least for now maybe a fourth outfielder for the Braves try and crack a, a starting spot at some point but He's a guy who, again, was a former top prospect in baseball that the Mariners are moving on from at 24 years old. But, you know, with the Otani stuff, um, a, a big question that's been posed is, you know, with these other Japanese free agents, could their decision influence that of Otani? Um, you have uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, the top Japanese pitcher. Um, he's one of the top free agents, period, on the market. Um, you know, where he might end up with that influence a decision of an Otani because there's been rumors where, you know, he wants a city with a strong kind of, you know, Asian or, or Japanese culture. He wants to go somewhere, um, obviously, where he can win right away. But at the same time, he wants to go to a city uh, that he can kind of, obviously, he's going to be signing a long-term deal here. Mm-hmm. So he wants to make this next city kind of his home uh, and potentially his last as a major league player. What do you what do you guys think of the uh, the possibility of Otani coming to an East Coast city, moving across the country, and it's further away, obviously, from Japan, which is you know obviously um, on the other side of the world at that point. I, I think him going to an East Coast team is very likely, honestly, because it, it, when I look at Otani, I don't think he's a guy that's gonna it, you know everything's a factor in a free agent decision. But I don't think he's a guy that's going to look at, okay, this city has better weather than this city. Mm-hmm. So that kind of outweighs the, the other factors like winning and things like that. But the Mets are obviously rumored to be very involved in the Otani sweepstakes. We've even, I, I saw a report earlier that the Blue Jays are going after him heavy too. But there's also, there's also West Coast teams like the Dodgers obviously are going to be in the mix. Probably the Giants, Padres as well. They're always in the mix for free agents. Seattle, they've been rumored to be going after Otani and other big free agents too. And I, I know the Phillies haven't been in the conversation recently in terms of Otani. But if you know Dave Dombrowski, he's always going to do his due diligence on big free agents and players like that. And so... Honestly, I, I don't think the location is that much of a factor for Otani. I think, just like you said, it, uh, Aaron, I think he's looking at 
organization, where can I win? What is the culture of this organization? Because Otani, he seems fed up with the Angels towards the back end of his career there. You know, he's a guy that just wants to win. You know, it's it's heavily documented that he has his goals written out for himself since he was a teenager. And a lot of those goals involve winning and winning World Series. And so I think the biggest factor for Otani will be winning and going to an organization with a winning culture. Yeah, and, you know, the, I think a big, big thing, Josh, is in the first year of this deal, wherever he lands – Next season, he's always going to be a DH. He's locked going to pitch next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I think in the 2025, he says he wants to go back to two, uh, being a two-way guy. He had, I want to say it was the 2021 season where he didn't pitch all that often either. He was kind of strictly a DH. Um, you know, obviously, he's still one of the best hitters, best players in baseball, even if he is only a bat. Um, but you wonder, money-wise, could that possibly affect anything? I don't think it will. I think you're playing for the long term, and he's just so good on the mound as well. Um, but again, in the first year, you're going to be handling, handing out all this money. Um, it does give him less to focus on, but at the same time, for a generational two-way type of player like him, no one else is like him, you're losing one side of that, at least for the first season. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be tough that you're going to be paying – in my opinion, I think like Otani's gonna get like maybe close to fifty million a year. Oh yeah. So yeah. and it's gonna be it's gonna suck that one year that you're pretty much getting half of that because he's not gonna be pitching. But if you're right. thinking the long term, it's gonna be probably a ten year deal most likely. So it's gonna be the minority of his tenure, but whatever team he decides to go with. And speaking of what team he should go with, if he cares about winning, then he should stay far away from the East Coast because that's something that doesn't happen unless you're the Braves, pretty much. Because he, especially the Mets, I don't. Why, why would you, if he cares about organization winning? Why would the Mets even? Yeah. They can throw. They can throw the bid, but they, you know, they can have entrance. But I don't think Otani's gonna pick up the phone. He might look at it, but just not even, not even worry about it. And I, that's, I feel the same way about the Yankees too. I mean. I don't know what the Yankees have been doing lately. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like th- – I'm not saying that, like, Otani's, like, closed off to, like – like what uh, Nick was saying. Like, I don't think, like, he's closed off to an East Coast team. But he cares about winning, cares about the organization being solid. So I, – but I feel like that's not most the East Coast teams, especially, like, the big teams, like the the Mets and the Yankees. So to me, I feel like he's going to probably stay on the West Coast because we hear the Dodgers, we hear the uh, – potentially the Giants, potentially the Padres – Potentially the Mariners. I mean, those teams, in my opinion, are better set up. They have a better organization than the Mets and the Yankees, and it's it's an easier travel for him the, if, when he wants to go back to Japan. So I think I it's, it's gonna be tough to see what team because every team's gonna throw a bit for Otani because mm. you you'd be dumb if you're not. But it, I just don't know. It's because any team he goes to that shifts the power. In in a, in a major way. So once this domino falls, then we're gonna see like a lot of teams try to make a a move that can somehow match that move. Because there's a there's rumors that a uh, Juan Soto might get traded, which mm. not sure how likely that will be. But I mean, they keep saying the Yankees as a possible suitor for Juan Soto. But right. I feel like everyone's gonna wait for Otani to see where that domino falls, and then yeah. you're gonna see 
equivalent moves like Juan Soto possibly getting traded or who who knows might else get traded. What's interesting too, you know, when you think back to the 2018 offseason, Bryce Harper took until February, uh, mid-February to sign with Philadelphia. Manny Machado, same thing to go to the Padres. How long does this get drawn out with Otani? Is this a thing that, you know, he's not going to make a decision until the week before spring training or is he going to want to get situated, you know, this week at the winter meeting, see that it would agree to a deal. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that because it's a big decision because, mm-hmm. like like we're all pretty much agreeing to, it's going to be a 10-year deal, and he wants this deal to be pretty much the last deal or, yeah. like, the, re- the real last time he moves locations if he ends up deciding to do that. So it, he should take as much time as he needs. I, I can definitely see it going until February because – it's big, big decision, and it's, mm-hmm. it, especially since he's not really going to be on the mound at all, and he's e- even if he is a week before the season, he decides to come to whatever team, he he can already be a value bat, even if he's not necessarily in baseball shape, quote-unquote. But, yeah, I mean, big, big decision for Otani, so I feel like we're just going to be looking through the rumor mill, trying to pinpoint – oh, he's going here, he's going there. But at the end of the day, we have no idea where he'll decide to go. I I think if I had to put a button on it, if I was a betting man, which I'm not saying I am, um, <laughs> I would probably say he's going to end up a Dodger. I feel I, that same way. I, I would probably think that he's going to be a Dodger. They have a bunch of money. They're in a spot where he can actually afford to take a year off of pitching, I think, for them. Um and just be a hitter. Yeah, and money is a factor for Otani, too. Let's not act like it's not. Oh, of course. I mean, you're you're talking about $600 million plus, potentially. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah I, I mean, he won't even have the move, really. Um, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, think, I think the Dodgers right now are a team that, that are in just such a good spot to get a guy like him. Um, where he can, again, afford to take a year off. But, again, I wouldn't leave out an East Coast team. Um, I think, honestly, the Phillies, you know, with their recent success, could be a player as well. But, you know, they just tied up all that money with Aaron Nola. And so we'll see how yeah. aggressive they are. I'm not sure how aggressive the Phillies will actually be. I think they'll be having conversations with Otani in his camp. But, you know, I- I'm not – as right. a Phillies fan, I'm not expecting the Phillies to <laughs> go go all in on Shohei Otani because I just simply don't know if they have the money for that. So, again, winter meetings this week. We'll see um, how this uh, Shohei saga will um, eventually play out. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, exciting time. Um, you know, winter meetings right around the corner this week. And uh, we'll finally maybe start to see some movement here in, uh, in the off season. So, tonight, the NBA in-season tournament quarterfinals, baby. Who's, who's pumped? Let's go. Let's go. Celtics Pacers. <laughs> is, is that very sarcastic? <laughs> it's, I, it's pretty sarcastic. Now, <laughs> look, my team is in the in-season tournament. Same. So, I'm pretty happy. Yeah, if the Sixers were in it, I would have more interest, but I, I might flick <laughs> well, on the, the game. The, uh, the, the Knicks fans don't sound that happy. I don't know. Why? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, oh, you mean you mean us or like as yeah, a whole? Yeah, I mean you guys. Oh, no. I, I want to win this then, man. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go win this. Thing. As you should. I would want to win it too. Um, Let's go. <laughs> That's but, more like it. But we have the inaugural actual tournament games here tonight. Celtics and Pacers in Indianapolis. 
Pelicans and Kings out in Sacramento. Um, I think two good games. I mean, I think, you know, Boston obviously is the top team in the East record-wise right now, 15-4. and four. Um, Pacers have been having a, a pretty nice start to the year. You know, t- they're 10-8, and eight, but I think they're a pretty good team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton has quickly become, like, one of my favorite players in all of the league. Yeah, he's unreal. Yeah, he's ridiculous. Um, such a such a talented point guard. Um, you know, I, I, I think in Indiana, the interesting thing is, again, you know, this is kind of like the weird thing we're going to have to get adjusted to, is, you know, Boston's 15-4. and four, Pacers are 10-8 and eight right now. Pacers are the last team in the actual six team, six playoff teams right now in the East at ten and eight. Boston fifteen and four. They've got the East's best record, but the Pacers are going to be hosting this game because they went four and zero in their group, Group A, and the Celtics in their group going three and one. So, so uh, Pacers have the advantage. They get to host this game in and before. Uh, the winners of these quarterfinal games head out to Vegas for the semis and then the championship game. Um, but Celtics, four-and-a-half-point favorites tonight on the road. Um, again, I can, I can see this being you know a pretty good game. Uh, Celtics, you know, they are a very good team, obviously. Well-coached. Jason Tatum is a superstar. Um, the Porzingis trade, I think, has been very nice for them. Drew Holiday, obviously, as well. Um, but the Celtics, at times... You know, they um, have kind of looked like a team that in the postseason can be a little bit beatable. Um, I think some of that, some of the depth questions are fair for them bench-wise. Um, and I think tonight, um, you know, with Tyrese Halliburton actually uh, is questionable for tonight, so that could be big. Christos Porzingis not playing in the game tonight. I think this could be a close one between the Celtics and Pacers. Yeah, I have a feeling this can be a close game due, due to on the Pacers. They're pl- they're playing pretty well, and of course, you mentioned four and zero in their group. Meanwhile, the Celtics being three and three and one. But to be honest, yeah, the Pacers have played good basketball this year with Tyrese Halliburton on their team, and they've have Miles Turner as well, Obi Toppin, but then the Celtics, of course, they're usually a dominant team with Tatum, Jalen Brown. They, they know what, they're one of the own best teams in all of the Eastern Conference. So they, this is going to be an exciting game. I'm hope, hopefully we can see like, a, like 140 points scored by a team because <laughs> the Pacers have well, done that, um, but so far this season. Yeah, the Pacers don't exactly like playing defense. Yeah. <laughs> they the score least. the most points in the league, but um. Yeah, they're second to last in defensive rating. They like to score a lot, and they figure, well, I play defense. We'll just score more than you. <laughs> so, with Boston, without Chris Dotz Porzingis, um, again, I think tonight the Pacers, oh, we could see a pretty high-scoring game. I mean, Boston's a very, very good defensive team. But I, I think when those two clash, I think offense might win out here. And we might see a pretty crazy score uh, at the end of this one tonight. Remember that crazy over-under line in the Hawks-Pacers game? Yes. Tonight's is pretty wild, too. It's 247 and a half. 247. Jesus. I honestly thought it might have even been slightly higher, like closer to 250, maybe even over 250. Uh, yeah, I think the other game was <laughs> higher than that. But That's crazy. It just shows how 
explosive the Pacers have been offensively. Whoa, two forty-seven. That is insane. Uh, yeah, I, I think this all depends on how Burton plays because I don't know if you guys remember earlier in the season when these two teams met and how Burton didn't play. Oh yeah, uh, it was bad. It was yeah, bad. for anyone who didn't watch it, uh, they lost by fifty. One fifty-five. One hundred four. Yeah, was the final. Jeez. So, <laughs> yeah, this all depends if Halberin plays because if he doesn't, he's the Pacers' offense respectfully because mm-hmm. he's almost averaging thirty and twelve. So, damn, it's a uh, there's only so much you can do when that guy's not on the court. So yeah, he he is definitely the engine for that offense, and he's basically a lock to be an All Star this year. Oh yeah, should should definitely he'll, with the way it's looking be All Pro too. He'll yeah he'll be starting at the All Star game I think. But uh, other game tonight Pelicans. And Kings out in Sacramento. Pelicans have kind of had their issues and you know, personnel wise with Zion and Ingram and CJ McCollum had been hurt. Um you know, he's kind of been in and out of the uh, in and out of the lineup. Only played eight games this year. Um, they're eleven and ten and you know, again it's weird to see a team that is right around five hundred get into these uh, you know, one of the top four spots in the West. Um, but again, three and one in Group B, um, and so they are going to be on the road taking down the Tins. Tins have been good as of late. You had the crazy win over the Warriors last week, um, and then they beat Denver the other night as well. You know, Sacramento. I think we looked at them as you know, and you think of the West with uh, the Suns when they get healthy. And, you know, obviously Denver with, with Jokic and company. Mm-hmm. Um, and Minnesota's off to a really good start, and OKC is playing well. I think the Tins sometimes can get lost in that group. But uh, the Tins, again, for another season now, um, are, are, are a really good basketball team. And, uh, you know, they'll have the Pelicans um, tonight. Uh, I, I would probably go with the Tins to win this one. I don't know. There's just something about the Pelicans to me that is <laughs> – it's just a little off. I, yeah. I I mean, I don't know if it's coaching with Willie Green uh, or what, but they, to me, just don't really seem as connected as a group as the Titans are. I think they're a very tight-knit group in, in Sacramento. Yeah, to be honest, I'm looking at the slate here, and seeing the Pelicans playing in a high-leverage situation <laughs> game is very odd. Interesting. It, it just doesn't feel right to me. But, yeah, I, I would probably take the Kings on that one. The Kings, you know, they're – Talk about the Pacers' offensive explosion. The Kings, they're, they're right up in that category, too. They can yeah. put some points on the scoreboard as well. They can. Darren Fox, he, he's taken a, a massive leap this season. We already knew that he was a great player, but now averaging 30-plus points per game, he's been one of the top scorers in the league. And then kind of just piggybacking off what you said with the standings, I think I think the East has more top-heavy power, but I think the West is just an absolute dogfight. It is. Agreed. Like Denver, you have Denver, Phoenix, Sacramento, OKC, Minnesota. Obviously, the Lakers will be in the mix with LeBron. Golden State. Dallas, too, right? Dallas, too. They have Luka. Golden State's been struggling, but at the end of the year, don't be surprised if they're right still there in that playoff mix. And even Houston has actually been playing pretty well. The Rockets. Houston's been playing well. Obviously, the Clippers have that new big four. And so, it's just the West is just absolutely insane with their depth. Minnesota, I want to give a shout-out to them real quick because once they traded for Rudy Gobert last year, I, I always thought that they had a pretty high ceiling with that group with the two big men, Rudy Gobert leading the charge defensively, Cat leading the charge offensively, and then obviously you mix in Anthony Edwards as well, who's the best player on the team. 
I, I think that group, uh, look out for them. I think they can make some noise. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> they have uh, a couple Jersey natives on there as well. Nas Reed has been great um, mm-hmm. this year for the Wolves off the bench, um, you know, potentially gunning for that Sits Man of the Year award. Um, you know, Jaden McDaniels as a defender has been super valuable. Um, and then, uh, yeah, they even got Shake Milton out there coming off the bench, hitting, yeah. hitting a couple threes. A Sixers game. legend. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that. I think when you went to the East, there's definitely, you know, the Boston, the Milwaukee, Philly, um, you know, Miami, Cleveland. I, I I don't know, though. When you list off all those Eastern Conference teams and with the Magic actually out to a pretty good, good yeah. start. Yeah, I was about to say. There's like eight or nine teams in the East, too, that, you know, I don't. I wouldn't say have a chance to come out of the East, but you're talking about you know in when you get to those eight teams in in the field of sixteen after the play in, uh, you know one through eight, it's pretty competitive in in the Eastern Conference this season at least. It is. It definitely is. I I think Boston and Milwaukee are the clear top tier there, and then it, I think it's a a pretty sizable drop off uh-huh. after that. Just you know the Sixers, obviously. You, you can't trust them, you know. Miami, don't don't discount Miami either because they just seem to always find a way these yeah, past four they years. Do. But they do, yeah. Just it, honestly, good. The league's in a pretty good place now that we're talking about it. Oh yeah, I I think you know this has been a conversation. There's just so much talent in the NBA. Yeah, like, there just is. Yeah, I've been saying for like a while that um the NFL and NBA have like opposite problems. Like you, you see this year in the NFL, there's a lot of teams that are really bad. And the quarterback play is just down. Yeah, it's really bad mm-hmm. in the NFL, but the NBA has the opposite problem. That there's a lot of teams that are really really talented. And that's why like expansion is just a foregone conclusion at this point that there's going to be in my opinion two more teams added to each uh, I'm sorry, one team added to each conference, two teams added overall. It's just it feels written in stone that like probably Vegas is gonna get a team and hopefully they bring back the Supersonics because they deserve they deserve something at least they do. Um, it's just crazy like when you look at the story leaders, how many guys are averaging twenty plus? It is crazy um, across the lead. There's like there's got to be like forty guys averaging twenty plus, which is just nuts. Like. You think about it, even like 20 years ago, like you maybe have like 20 guys, 25 guys. Like the top guys in the league would average a little over 20 plus. Maybe you have like a couple guys on their way there who get into the low 20s. But I mean, you just look from 23 points or more Ingram, Zion, Paul George, Kuzma, Kyrie, LeBron, LaMelo, Brunson, and then you get into the top 10 with Donovan Mitchell. I mean, the cra- the story numbers are just crazy high now, right? Yeah. You have. You have 10 guys averaging uh, – I'm sorry. You have 13 guys averaging 27 or better. It's crazy. Um, shooting is up across the league as well. So, yeah, absolutely. The NBA has a, a good problem on their hands, I think, with uh, all the talent in the league. And then tomorrow, the other two quarterfinal games, Lakers and Suns at 10 p.m., and the Milwaukee Bucks will host the New York Knickerbockers for um, – just just a just a massive game. Massive game in Milwaukee tomorrow. If the Knicks win it, they're ba- they're basically the second best team of the East. I, I think. <laughs> I mean it's Oh wow. No, I'm now yeah, that, 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 that's a take right there. <laughs> Bucks are four and a half favorites tomorrow, uh, at home against the Knicks. Bucks won uh they won their group as well. Um they went I believe they won undefeated. Yeah, they went four and four and oh, yep. Yeah, the Knicks so. went three and one. They were in the same group as the Bucks. 
So the Lits were, yeah, they were one of, Lits were actually the only team to not win their group to make it in. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's one team from each conference that don't win that get in as wild cards. But I think yes. the, I think the same thing with the Suns as well. Yes, yes, yes. You, you're right. So the Lit and Suns are the two kind of wild card teams. Quote unquote. And I, I know we had that sarcasm earlier in this segment about the in season tournament, but I've actually kind of been a fan of it. I, I have liked it. I, I think it's an interesting kind of development change now, of pace in the regular season. The, yeah. the thing I don't understand is like so these games don't count for the regular season no these do they it, do only the only the one championship that, yeah, yeah the only one that doesn't is the final is the final yeah the championship so games. where did these games come from they just they got built into the schedule yeah and much. so so like the sixers for example they throughout this next week have two games against other teams that didn't advance okay and so it, it winds up evening out except the two teams that are in the championship will just play 83 games so but that means at the start of the season these games were just kind of question mark yeah right? yeah it was an open part in the schedule <laughs> that's great that is really kind of interesting to me right mm-hmm. that even now the schedule makers can't it used to be just be so simple you just feel like you're just ripping 82 damn schedule you play whoever you play you play mm-hmm. your division however many times a year now yeah they're really getting crazy but i actually have been a fan uh some of the courts and jerseys have been pretty sweet too. Yeah, I was I was someone when they first like introduced this idea. I was like, oh, what, what are we doing, guys? Like, yeah. come on, this is kind of this is kind of dumb. But then like actually seeing it in practice, it's like, oh, wow, this is amazing. It, what's what's really like selling it for me is like the buy-in from the players themselves. Like yeah. they are taking yeah. it super serious. Like the point differential thing. Like you know, it's like an unwritten rule in, in basketball, especially that like you don't run up the score. Well, in the in-season tournament, you kind of have to run yeah. up the score because that's the difference between you winning your group or not. Yeah. So it's crazy that the, you see players actually buying in. Like, I remember um, the Raptors, when they played the Bulls, I believe, and the game was over. They were, like, up by, like, 20. But then the coach is screaming at Pascal Siakam to, like, score. And he didn't know what to do. He was like, oh, should I score? Because it's kind of disrespectful. <laughs> but then – the coaches literally screaming at him, like, going, no, go score. Yeah. So the buy-in from the coaches and the players as a whole, that's what's really selling the tournament for me. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think if, if the players kind of treated it as, oh, okay, you know, this is kind of whatever. There's money on the line, yes, but, you know, we're all multimillionaires anyway, yeah. you know. Um, and, you know, they're, I mean, like you said, I think the, the point differential thing has definitely kind of been a big factor because teams are actually – Again, like you said, invested in needing to get that point differential to make it. You get a lot of money on the line. Um, mm-hmm. You get fifty thousand dollars each player gets fifty grand made to the quarterfinals. So everyone on the eight teams that have made the quarterfinals get fifty grand each. A hundred thousand if you win that quarterfinal game each. Mm-hmm. Two hundred thousand if you reach the final, and then if you win the whole thing, everyone gets five hundred grand each. Yeah, yeah. it's and a lot of money. Yeah, you see, like it's a million um, dollars or almost a million dollars in, in total prizes. Yeah, I was gonna say you see like players like Dame come out and say like they know like five hundred thousand to them individually doesn't mean a lot, but like to those players that are like maybe on two way contracts. Yeah, you know, this would be generational money for them. That mm-hmm. so they're playing for that, and that's just. That just shows like a lot of like the character that is around the league that people will even think that for. Cause that's not even something I really thought about. Cause you would think, okay, the five hundred is going to millionaires already, but like the players are thinking, you know, the guys that don't have guaranteed roster spots who are on two way contracts. Like this would mean so much for them for 
someone like Dame to give someone on the Milwaukee Bucks who's on a two-way contract generational money like 500000 They end up winning the whole uh, in-season tournament. Yeah, and from a fan's perspective too, like I know it's not the same stakes as a playoff game, but in the Sixers' four group games, I, I was invested in those games like yeah. they were playoff games. Yeah. And when, when we did lose our two group games, it, it kind of <coughs> it, it – was it was more heightened than a regular season loss it, it more felt on the stratosphere of a playoff loss and same with the wins it felt more on the stratosphere of playoff wins and so I, I think it truly does have greater stakes and greater impact on both the players and the fans and Aiden that is exactly what the NBA wanted they wanted these games to feel like playoff games for them to have actual meaning in the context of the season and obviously not the same stage as playing for an NBA title but I mean, when this thing actually has some steam behind it and the players and coaches are treating it like something bigger, that is absolutely what the NBA wanted to do with this. The worst-case scenario would have been, again, if everyone just kind of treated it like you know some dumb thing that they had to do, right? But it has actually become, I think, and a big seller for the league as well. I mean, with all these kind of uh, retro, or not retro, but all the new like city edition courts and jerseys and whatever, um, it's been a big kind of market employee for for the league as well yeah it is true especially that they're treating this of course like playoff games because like you like of course you wouldn't want to watch like the same like product for 80 like 82 games straight just like the same thing over and over again like they're actually like building something into this and of course with the money factor for like the players on two-way contracts that they are able to get so nba uh, they've done a great job being able to build this up. It's, like, great to market this and, like, build something and hopefully continue later on in future seasons with this in-season tournament knowing it could just it has worked pretty well. But we hope to see um, some good games in, tonight, tomorrow, and, like, going forward for the rest of the week in mm-hmm. this in-season tournament. Yeah, in-season tournament. Um, getting underway tonight again with the two quarterfinal games, Boston and Indiana, and then New Orleans and Sacramento. All right, I think that is just about all the time we've got here on Offsides here on this Monday. Uh, I've been your host, Aaron Hook. I've been joined by Aiden Ray, Nick Rizzo, and Josh Ayers of our Rowan Radio Sports Department. You can catch Offsides Monday, Wednesday, and Friday um, from 5 to 6 p.m. here on RowanRadio.com, Channel 2. Everybody, thank you for tuning in and have a great rest of your Monday night. You've been listening to Offsides, a weekly roundtable discussion about the world of professional sports, featuring the diverse perspectives of the Rowan Radio Sports Department. Tune in next Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 5 to 6 p.m. for another edition of Offsides, only on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM.